0: Well, hey, folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today, I want to check in on the landscape of American politics, particularly the emerging democratic field for the party that is shaping up and will, you know, in 20 months go up against Donald Trump. So I want to today just basically free will it with my buddy, And actually, in a way, the host, the real host of this podcast, Corey DeVos, who is the editor-in-chief of Integral Life, and we're on the Integral Life live feed right now. And hey, Corey, good to see you. Welcome. Hey, dude. So awesome to be here with you. Yes, indeed. I wanted to take an opportunity to invite anybody who is not already a member of Integral Life to consider it. It is the central portal for the integral movement on the planet. It's the home of Ken Wilber. And, um, and Corey, why don't you just take a minute and uh, tell us a little bit about what's new or what's going on there?
1: Yeah, no, totally happy to. So, uh, let's see. I, I think one of the most exciting things that we're doing right now is uh, the Ken show, actually. So what we've done is we've given Ken Wilber um, his own monthly show. And, uh, he and I hop on together, uh, second Saturday of every month. And, you know, I, I, I basically come to the show with, with a few questions prepared and he just, you know, sort of like I pull the string in the back of Ken's head and he just goes off (laughs) for hours and hours. And, um, it's awesome. I'm getting a lot of really, really wonderful feedback. A lot of people are writing in and saying, this is, you know, this is Ken at peak form. He's saying all sorts of, um, you know, really new stuff. Uh, and it's, it's been really precious and it's been really, um, it's been, you know, really meaningful for me as well, to be able to have this relationship with Ken, to be able to have this rapport with him, uh, where, you know, I can, I can hopefully, uh, get him to sort of go a few levels deeper, uh, in terms of how he responds to a lot of these issues. And also and, the issues of the day, yeah, you know, not I mean, just all philosophy,
0: but, that's right. you know, relating to what's actually emerging.
1: Yeah, and we do both. Like, you know, for example, um last month we did a really cool three and a half hour um show talking about the stages of development. And we used uh we actually used film clips uh from like Mad Max and Casablanca and Jurassic Park, these really well known films in order to sort of illustrate the different, you know, styles, leadership styles, et cetera, associated with each of these stages. And that was a lot of fun. Um and it was cool to watch Ken sort of geek out about some of these some of these uh, uh film scenes because he he loves film almost as much as he loves, you know, philosophy. Right. Um, so that's that was really cool. And then this past weekend we did uh, a follow up to that where we talked about. Um, I called it the many ways we grow. I think the email is actually rolling out right now as we're having this conversation, um, where we talked about uh, all the various lines of development, the intelligences, the talents, the capacities that actually evolve through these stages of development. And that was a really cool another. Three and a half hour talks, so we've got over thirty hours wow. locked so far. Um, yeah. It's been it's been awesome. Cool, man. Yeah. All right. So, w'e ready
0: to talk about this crazy Democratic uh, race here. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it's fun. It's exciting to see these people come in and and to unwrap them, you know, and to yeah. see them fresh and to hear what they really have to say and what they're bringing to the party. And all the more important, I think, actually, even as of today where we got the full Mueller report and it doesn't sound like there's any big smoking gun in there. And you know, it looks like at the end of Trump is going to have to come through the ballot box or, you know, he's gonna to have to do two, two terms. So it's all the more important that the Democrats get their act together. And this is the process of that. There's 20 hours of slug or 20 months of slugging it out. So what are the integral people interested in? You know, what, what's, what's lighting up the integral world space? And I know you're a lot more tuned into that than I am in terms of integral social media and, and that sort of thing. And I know I, I hear things about Pete and, and Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson, and, you know, there's others. But what are you hearing?
1: Yeah, well, I think like every other online community, um, particularly ones that have a lot of you know engaged in a lot of social media uh the integral community is is somewhat um fragmented and uh, particularly around things like politics so I'm seeing all sorts of things out there i'm seeing um you know I'm seeing a lot of enthusiasm over uh you know certain of these candidates which we can we can certainly talk about as we go um I'm also seeing this you know which which i guess I'll characterize it as um, a hopefully healthy sort of immune system response coming from integral land around sort of the worst excesses of leftism, uh, particularly around woke culture, um, you know, critical theory, what's been going on on college campuses and sort of the erosion of First Amendment rights and all that. So there's a lot of integralists who have a, a lot of um, concern about what's, what's happening on the left, which I'll note is, you know, they're, they're, they're having these concerns at a time when the left doesn't, I mean, just to be truthful, at least until recently, uh, haven't had a whole lot of political power since 2016. Um, now I think a lot of these criticisms are fair. I also think that, uh, sometimes it it can sort of, um, it can turn into this, you know, there's this sort of anti SJW, anti social justice warrior, uh, you know, kind of sentiment that's, that's pretty strong in some sub communities, uh, within the integral space. And, um, whereas I think, you know, as I said, I think a lot of that can be healthy. A lot of the times, However, I see that as sort of reactionaries reacting to reactionaries. You know what I yeah. mean? Like like the SJWs are already a, a, a very reactionary kind of group uh themselves. And I think that what they're reacting to is definitely worthy of, you know, deeper consideration and certainly a more integral consideration. Um, and yet the way they go about it, I, I sort of agree with a lot of the criticisms. It's 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 oftentimes just as um, close-minded, narrow-minded, just as the conservatives who they're criticizing, and I think yeah. there's a lot of valid criticisms to be had there. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I do too. I, I mean, I, I think just in ter- terms of basic integral practice, we want to see the piece of the truth of all sides of this thing. Yeah, and you know, the the the, the woke culture actually they're they're waking to something. There there is a whole karmic stream that that they're in touch with. Uh, and I want to be, you know, I want to see that. I want to, because I'm learning a lot from that, actually. And yet, you know, you can only go so far so fast. And we have gone at warp speed in terms of Me Too and, and race and so forth. And we, we want to, you know, be smart politically. Right. And, uh, and a lot of people are turned off by political correctness, including, apparently, according to the Atlantic survey, 75 to 80 percent of blacks. Yeah. You know, sure. so it, it it's it's something to keep in mind. And and what will win Trump another term quicker than anything is just a, a Democratic candidate that the majority of people can't get behind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Particularly if all of our candidates, all if. them. Well, I just use the word hour as if I'm uh, sort of a staunch leftist, which I'm very much not. But I am aligned with, uh, you know, most of these Democrats in terms of where the political pendulum is today. Um, and today it's completely stacked against, you know, I, what I consider some of the worst elements of the conservative party. Um, and so I'm, you know, I am definitely going to be making a big push uh, for the left with this upcoming uh, election. However, you know, I've got lots of caveats around that. Um, I'm yep. not a leftist. I just want, uh, like you do. I just want sort of this malignant element uh, of Trumpism to be, uh, you know, uh, taken out of the system, taken out of the out of our, you know, the political waters. Yeah. Um. So that's that's why I'm going to be making, you know, my push towards the left. But I want to see that push be as healthy as possible. And if woke culture itself is forcing you know, pretty much every one of these candidates to apologize for some, you know, problematic behavior or some element of their identity or, you know, a, a lot of people in the woke culture asking questions like, are we ready for a white man to run for president? It's like, y- y'all got to get off of this bullshit. This is, you know, if you're making your candidates have to apologize right out of the gate before they're even allowed to say anything, um, all you're doing is, is, is weakening the chances of any of these guys to take on a strong man like Trump. Yep. So,
0: what? Who? Who are people for? What? What are you seeing out there in Integral Land?
1: Yeah, totally. So, I'm seeing a lot of enthusiasm uh, among these various factions around a few different people. Um, I'm seeing a lot around Pete Buttigieg, and I am also sort of all aboard. Uh, you know, the Buttigieg train. Um, I, I, you know, there's, there seems to be two popular ways of pronouncing his name, either Boot edge edge I prefer the second one, which is Buddha Judge, because I think that wisdom and discernment are the two qualities that are most lacking in the executive branch today. Yeah. <laughs> and the two that I want Mayor Pete to, to sort of bring back for us. So I'm, I'm, as of today, pretty enamored with, uh, with Buddha Judge. I also see a lot of enthusiasm around uh, what we might call some of the more fringy candidates. Um, I don't mean fringe necessarily that they hold views that are completely in left field, but they're people who are, I think, struggling to get more visibility uh, in the media and just sort of in the the democratic gestalt in general. And that's people like uh, uh, Andrew Yang. I'm seeing a lot of enthusiasm around him.
0: Yeah, uh, I have uh, a, a lot of people write me about Andrew Yang and, and encourage me to check him out. And I just checked about a bit. And I got to say, I had an immediate like for him. He has a great way about him. And I guess this thing is more techie and um, the universal basic income. And that's sort of the horse he's riding. And I'll be interested to see how uh, to, you know, check him out.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. He, he is sort of approaching this like a like a technocrat. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, what, what I appreciate about what's happening on the left with all of these candidates, 20 something candidates, is that um, all of them are expanding and informing the platform in various ways. Yeah. What I see someone like Yang doing is, you know, Yang is kind of coming in with this energy that I characterize as like, he's basically saying to us, you know, guys, so many of these debates, all you're really doing is rearranging furniture on the deck of the Titanic, right? And if we don't get in front of these like really major trends that are coming down the line and are right around the corner, automation, like,
0: artificial it, intelligence, yep, you
1: know, huge numbers of people that aren't employed. That's right. That's right. So he is calling for these major structural lower right quadrant changes that can sort of you know, get a more proactive grip on these trends that are coming down rather than you know, reacting after the case when we're sort of already screwed. Right. Um, so I appreciate what he's doing there. Uh, just like, um, you know, I appreciate Marianne Williamson. I don't think Marianne Williamson has a shot at all, but I appreciate what she's bringing into the discourse. I appreciate the heart and the spirit. And, um, you know, and honestly, she's a really fantastic communicator.
0: Yeah. Let me just play a piece from her town hall on CNN. And let me also just salute CNN for doing town halls for these so-called fringe candidates. And it's good to see these people. And she did a great job. And here's just a piece. This is the flavor of Marianne Williamson. And I know a lot of people in the integral world have known her as a teacher. You know, she definitely has an integral sensibility. She's not, she doesn't talk a lot about evolution or the aqua model or anything like that. But, uh, She's been very powerful over the years, and I've always appreciated her. And and for her to come in with this message on love is pretty remarkable. So here she is. Do you think love can win the White House?
2: (laughs) Well, first of all, I think it's the only thing that can win the White House. I think far more people in this country love than hate. Far more. And that's true in this world. The problem we have today is that those who hate, hate with conviction, And conviction is a force multiplier. Those who hate today, those who fear, they are effective, they are organized, and they are convicted. Those of us who love now need to become convicted and organized and strategized. We need to do more than small random acts of kindness. We need huge strategized acts of doing the right thing. We need to rescue these children. We need to pay reparations. We need to wage peace. We need to purify the heart of a nation, just like we need to purify our own hearts. And then when we do that, when we're honest about the darkness we need to deal with, we will get to such incredible light, and we will have a new birth of freedom.
0: So what do you think of that for presidential politics?
1: I I think all of that was beautifully said and is exactly the reason why she's unelectable.
0: Right. Exactly. But again, just to, I mean, she knows, I think in her heart of hearts, it's not a pretty long shot, but to be bringing that into the field is remarkable. And it's, it's like you said, if all of these candidates are coming from what, you know, we used to see as fringe. I mean, we used to think Bernie was fringe. It just opens the space to include more stuff and a bigger space is, you know, we have more to work with in there. And then we got Bernie. Yeah, it's um, he's right up there in terms of uh fundraising. I mean, he's way ahead in terms of fundraising, and um, I have been kind of allergic to Bernie over the years. You know, he seemed cranky and old. What he's 77 years old right now, 77, and by the time he would take office, he would be 79, and that. Strikes me as is almost disqualifying, and I, yeah. I you know, I'm being ageist to say that. I, I don't think you are. Well, I- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Corey. Let me play a couple things. What What I got was I watched Bernie on the Fox News town hall, which has gotten a lot of attention here in the last week. It's sort of a sea change. Yeah, and it was for me. Yeah. I mean, this guy. I mean, I, I, I see no diminishment of any kind. Aside from he's a little bit stooped, it it, it made me rethink Bernie and it made me get excited about Bernie. I don't know if I'm for Bernie, but I'm for Bernie being there, man. I'm for Bernie carrying his torch. And it feels a little to me like Bernie is in the same position that Reagan was in uh, at the late 70s where, you know, Reagan had been a crackpot in the sixties and the world turned and, you know, he didn't change, but the world came to him. Right. That's what's happening with Bernie. So anyway, here's, here's a piece from that town hall meeting where he is being interviewed by Brett Baer and Mar- Martha, McCallum, who are two of the stars of Fox news. And they're, you know, trying to pin him down a little bit on, you know, if, if, why, why do you demonize billionaires and millionaires it, where we'll start? is this question that Brett Baer asks him about, look at all the money you made on your book. And Bernie became a millionaire because of the book he wrote for his last campaign. You know, aren't you a hypocrite? Is it making money like this? Isn't this the American dream? And it's very
3: interesting to hear his answer. You know, when you wrote wrote the book and you made the money, isn't that the definition of capitalism, the American dream? No. I mean, you know, what we want is a country where everybody has opportunity. You know, I have a college degree. Okay, I'm a United States senator. But a lot of people don't have a college degree. A lot of people are not United States senators. I want everybody in this country to be able to have health care, to have education, to when they turn on the water, have drinkable water, not toxic water. So what we are fighting for Brett, is a society, not where just a few people can make a whole lot of money but a society where everybody in this country has the opportunity to live in security uh, and dignity.
2: All right. So uh, this weekend.
3: Well said, Bernie. Yeah, I love that because,
0: you know, I was kind of with Brett Baird. Isn't that the definition of the American dream? And I'm like, yeah, Bernie, isn't it? And he says, long pause. No, actually. That, I, I mean, I felt myself shift there and i love that i mean mm. anytime i can feel myself really look at a new perspective and he just says no wait the american dream is or should be about everybody at least having a baseline of decency in terms of health education and welfare you know
1: one of the things i think bernie is skilled at is being able to point to these sort of uh, fallacies in this case there's this False equivalence, right? That if you are railing against, you know, massive wealth inequality, uh, then you must therefore be anti-capitalism or right. anti-wealth, period. And you know, I really don't think that's Bernie's stance, but that's how he's often sort of caricatured. Right. No, that's true. In
0: fact, I'll play another piece uh, here. Hang on, where he gets into that specifically
3: you do spend a lot of time vilifying millionaires no i don't vilify the fact that i think people who are doing phenomenally well right now as you know for 40 years we have seen a shrinking middle class you got 40 million people living in poverty and today just so happens that the very wealthy are doing incredibly wealthy it's not vilifying to say that people have a whole lot of money in some cases billions of dollars of wealth they should pay their fair share taxes. Right. Well, Brett, that's, that's of, not vilified.
0: Yeah. Last question on this. Oh, and actually, I'll play this piece, too. This is where this is the famous piece that came out of the uh, Fox News town hall where Brett Baer did the thing that a lawyer should never do. Yeah. And that is ask a question that you don't know the answer to. to, to and, and so he asked people, would you like to have uh, government run health care?
3: Audience, a question. If you could raise your hand here, a show of hands of how many people get their insurance from work, private insurance, right now? How many get it from private insurance? Okay. Now, of those, how many are willing to transition to what the senator says a government run system? (laughs)
0: That'll learn them. Now, it's fair, There were Democrats in there, too. And, and, you know, it wasn't all just Fox News viewers. But there's a new power to this that didn't exist even in the last cycle.
1: Yeah, I think there's a number of really important lessons come out of that. A, that Fox might not know its own audience as much as it thinks it does. Uh, B, Democrats really, really need to start showing up on these conservative platforms because that is their only opportunity to speak directly to these people rather than having their words mediated for them. I think that we've, we've had this sort of idea, Jeff, for a while now that you can't give a platform to, well, to what liberals would consider bad ideas, right? Um, and I think that that is proving itself to be an old media sort of idea that is starting to work against us now. And so I think that we're, we're approaching this sort of new way of thinking about these platforms that actually says, no, we actually need to, to uh, invite the controversy. Even if it seems kind of silly, uh, yeah. we still need to have the conversation.
0: Well, and yeah, and, 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 I'll, and I'll give an example of how that has worked for me. I'm, I was a free trader. Back in the Reagan era. I thought free trade was self-evidently good. and in, in many ways, it, it is and has been, particularly if you look globally, if you have a world-centric perspective. The rise of pov- people out of poverty in China and India and a lot of the so-called third world has been an enormous move forward for humanity that is the result of globalization. But from, a, from an American, from a nationalist perspective, and we need that perspective as well. It has not been so good. And so Bernie's turned me around on that. And here's a piece where he talks about, and this is where he has that kind of credibility and authenticity that I think is really uh, important at this point. I mean, he was a democratic socialist before democratic socialism was cool. And he uh, talks about that here. So here's this piece.
3: And why did I oppose all of these disastrous trade agreements? It was very clear to me that these agreements on the democratic and Republican leadership was written by multinational corporations to make these corporations even wealthier at the expense of the American worker. So let me suggest what is not a radical idea. American workers should not have to compete against desperate people around the world who are making a dollar or two dollars an hour. You know, I understand that we're taking on corporate America, we're taking on the Republicans, we're taking on the Democratic establishment, we're taking on the drug companies, we're taking on the insurance companies, we're taking on the military industrial complex. You know what? I think it ain't easy.
1: <laughs> you know, he's a fighter, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and a couple things. Um, first off, uh, you know, the healthcare question, um, you know, when the audience uh, started applauding for Medicare for all, that is the stuff that Overton windows are made of. Remind me what an Overton window is. An Overton window is basically this, uh, this uh, lower left agreement. That this ongoing agreement about what's allowed to be talked about and what's not. So, Mm -hmm. that window changes, and really, really skilled politicians are masters at swinging that Overton window of allowing people to talk about things that were, you know, maybe even just a year ago uh, were taboo. Uh, Bernie is one of those people where we can actually talk about socialism now, uh, where, you know, that was a, a third rail. Uh, you know not too long ago trump is also one of those uh, masters he's yes. able to swing that Overton window pretty much wherever he wants um and you can see that around terms like nationalism yep um so it's you know which it's, it's, which that's the
0: upside of trump to me yeah is that he is he talk about increasing the space
1: of what it's okay to talk about everything's fair game now that's yep. and that's and that's good and that's it's, all right yeah it's yep. peeled this scab of political correctness away um, which, which allows us to have more honest, if not more painful, uh, conversations, but yes. conversations that have been overdue and just again, festering because, uh, we, we had these sort of rules that, well, you know, we're not allowed to talk about that. Yep. Well, that doesn't exactly make the, you know, the problems go away. Yep. Um, and, you know, as a consequence of, of, you know, the audience applauding that point, you know, one of the recent th- things that came up was, uh, there was a, a, uh, a conservative, a gop who invited uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to talk to coal miners in like North Carolina or something like that. And she said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll show up. I'm, I'll be happy to talk to them. After that town hall, they rescinded the invitation. They're like, oh, we, we can't let that happen again, right? <laughs> we, we need to you know make sure we can control the message here. Yeah. Uh, so let me play one
0: other clip here. And this is to buttress my case that Bernie's a lot more with it than I thought. And this is an argument. It just, this is uh, simply stylistic, what I'm going to play. It's a sort of a tête-à-tête that he had with Martha McCallum. She was talking about it's going to raise taxes for everybody to have this uh, Medicare for all. And he said, but you have to also factor in that people aren't going to have health care premiums. Anymore. And and she said, but you're gonna have to pay one way or the other, and so forth. So this is what is um, they're talking about. So that sets this up. you are gonna
3: pay one way or the other. But look, you're Martha, pay one way or the other. Martha, whether it's in your
2: income Martha. tax or your payroll tax, or right, pay. look,
3: healthcare is not free. You never of heard me suggest that we're gonna match You just said
2: it was gonna be free for everyone.
3: It's gonna be free at the point of when you use it. Okay? And you go to why are you so shocked by this? Because
2: this is gonna somebody is going to pay. Who pet. are they? Okay,
3: okay, okay. One, one second. Okay, Let's me talk. please. We'll get through this it's together. It's a
2: common question. Okay.
3: We had, okay. All we right. had we so
2: many
1: email questions. Okay. Ask Senator Sanders how he is Fair going Fair enough, to I got it.
3: <laughs> I love that. It was such a
1: disingenuous question. How So do you think? Well, it was, it was a willful misunderstanding of what Bernie means by quote unquote free. Um, yeah,
0: but it also uh, teed him up to explain that. That's right. And, yeah. And that's, I, I think, really important because I hate to say this. I hadn't really made that connection. You know, yes, people's taxes will go up, but their premiums will go down. I mean, yeah. Medicare is any example. You're down to one tenth of what you had to pay before.
1: Yeah, which is a big deal for families that are paying $450 for, uh, you know, two weeks worth of insulin, whereas in Spain, they pay $6 a month, or, you know, there's any number of these stories comparing uh, these respective systems. And Jeff, I agree with you that Bernie is bright. He's on fire. He's sharp. He's focused. He certainly does not carry himself like you would expect a 78-year-old man to carry himself. Um, however, I think that having concerns around his age, that, 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 that's, that, that to me is not ageism. That's just having like a reasonable sense of like... Reading actuarial, the actuarial tables. Yeah, it's actuarial <laughs> statistics. Like he's, he's more likely to have severe health complications in the next four years than, yep. uh, than someone who was even, you know, eight years his junior. So I also think that there is, you know, I think there's a certain plurality of the left and the right, honestly, who are just kind of over this whole boomer thing, right? And who, who just really want uh, to see a new generation uh, who, who, you know, who has a, a radically different experience than the boomers did um, in, in, in order to start making decisions around economics and foreign policy yeah. and, and so forth.
0: Well, that's the excitement of Mayor Pete. Yeah, th- no, that's right. You know, the first millennial candidate who looks like he has a shot.
1: So can I just say, what the hell, guys? What about Gen X? Why does Gen X always get skipped? <laughs> We're always in the shadow. Yeah. Well, it's just, well, everyone, well, talks well, everyone talks about boomers. Everyone talks about millennials. No one yeah. gives a shit about Gen X.
0: <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, Pete earlier, and I, I did a, a uh, episode at him. A Great key, episode. Which, Oh, thank you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago called uh, Mayor Pete's X, X factor. Could it be integral consciousness? And, um, and I think, you know, he does have uh, an integral sensibility just in terms of flex flow mind, just the basic definition of being able to take multiple perspectives of not demonizing and vilifying. And I, and I that's, I find that very attractive. Uh, wh- wh- what do you see uh, from Mayor Pete?
1: Oh, I see. So, I mean, first off, you know, sort of across the board, and I think you mentioned this in your episode across the board quality for quality. He's like the anti-Trump, right? He's got composure where Trump is just this fucking chaotic attractor. Um, He's got, uh, you know, I think um, uh, sort of a a goodness to him, a trustworthiness there's he's got integrity. Um, He's very well-spoken. Um, he's got a sensitivity that is uh, sort of couched in strength. Um, he's got experience in a number of sectors that would directly inform uh, his role as uh, commander in chief. Um, I just think he's got a lot going for him. And I see what you see, Jeff. You know, For example, I was really impressed with uh, you know, the ideas he has around um, the Supreme Court for example. Whereas a lot of liberals, rightfully so, are sort of out for blood. They're out for vengeance. They're saying, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell withheld a Supreme Court nomination from Obama, which has permanently skewed the courts for a generation, if not more. And, uh, you know, we need to find some sort of leverage here so that we can um, you know, restore balance. Now, of course, restore balance means so that we can get back at them and, and stack the courts uh, with, with, with our own judges. With our side. Which just is an escalation, right? And it keeps on escalating. What I love about Pete's idea, it was that he said, okay, well, let's deal with the problem on the ground that we have, which there is this, the courts have been uh, you know, partisanized, uh, you know, polarized, and uh, we need to remove this partisanship from, from, uh, from you know the courts because this is exactly where it doesn't belong. So one way to do that, which will both get us out of the problem that we have today, which is that we have a, a skewed Supreme Court because of political and parliamentary maneuvering and sabotage and all that. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to say uh, Democrats can nominate so many, conservatives can nominate so many, but then those judges who are who are nominated, make their own nominations, and this gets us out of the whole partisanship problem to begin with. So I was fascinated by that logic.
0: Something new. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. We'd have the court as is. So that doesn't change. So nobody has to get too worked up. But then those nine justices uh, appoint five justices who are cycling in and out. Yeah, I mean, he said, this is one idea, there's others, uh, but that is, it does have a, it makes a certain sense Yeah, and, and it feels like it's new. And, um, and this is another thing that I think that I've learned, and, and it's funny that I should have to learn this because I'm an evolutionary, but things change rapidly sometimes when they change. And we've seen that with Trump, you know, we, in a sense, you could say we saw it with Obama, you know, this idea that somebody can't come out of left field and become president has been blown away from the, the last two presidents. So yeah. uh, things can move very quickly. And, uh, you know, Mayor Pete may be, in, in terms of actually moving the culture forward, Mayor Pete may be, you know, what we're looking for. He's pretty young. Talk about ageism. But he's 30 young, pretty, pretty young at 37. But maybe he's the VP, maybe who knows how it all shakes down.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with your assessment. And, you know, the interesting thing to me, Jeff, is that each of these sort of front runners that the Democrats have right now, every one of them has a quality or a set of qualities yep. that is a big turn on for other liberals and other progressives and a massive turn off for conservatives. Yeah. Every one of them down the line. So Buttigieg... Um, he's gay and whether we like it or not, I I, I'm encouraged by the fact that polling seems to indicate that at this point, nobody gives a shit, which is pretty amazing for how much progress we've made in in the last 15 years. That said, I'm not so naive as to think, uh, as as to pretend like there's not a lot of things being said behind closed doors, um, that particularly, you know, we have this, uh, legacy of, of um, you know, gay somehow, meaning emasculation. Um, and I think that that, you know, when, when you're going up against a strong man like Trump, in a conservative's mind, yeah. you know, you, you got to play to strengths. Yeah. Um, so I think that that'll be that'll be an issue. Now, liberals love it, because they get another sort of token. Yeah. I'm not post. sure it
0: doesn't balance itself out uh, in terms of people who are actually attracted. By the yeah. fact that he's gay. Yeah, that's, a, uh, that's always a, people who are turned off. And they're probably the hardcore left or the hardcore right that there's they're immovable anyway. Right. That's right. You know. Yep. But the, the, the reasonable middle at this point, I think, is like
1: it's cool. I think so too. It's we immovable. saw that with Derek Hollis, right? First gay governor. Nobody knew that he was gay until he won. Yeah. Which tells me, guys. Stay away from the damn identity politics yeah. this is where you're getting all your bad press. This is where you are pushing people into Trumpism uh, because of this preoccupation with identity politics and intersectionalism and you know all this crap, which by the way, guys, is not the Democrats you know the Democrats are supposed to be right hand quadrant sort of absolutists they're supposed to reduce everything to the right hand quadrants. Get the hell out of the lower left quadrant. A, you're not making any difference whatsoever, right? You can't police people's thoughts; you just can't. I know you're going to try, but you can't. But get back over to these lower right quadrant solutions, these policy solutions that actually have, uh, you know, where there's there's a there there where there's actually a, a, a way to create leverage and reduce suffering in real time for people. Yeah. Uh, that's and that's what that's Bernie's strength. Bernie yeah. is a. Uh, Bernie's a lower right quadrant, you know, he reduces everything to the lower right quadrant, which, you know, I think we can criticize him for. Uh but but at least he's bringing in, you know, these these big policy recommendations um which I think is is critical. And that's what Elizabeth Warren is doing too. She yeah. is coming up with uh, you know, some fairly remarkable policy suggestions just nobody's really paying attention right now. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I just started her book. So, you know, these the, they all have a campaign book. Oh, of course. And- uh, and it's kind of cool to read them. They're generally not too long and too complicated, uh, but it's good to just hear them in their own words where they have your full attention. They're not being mediated by the media. They, you know, this is their message and to compare one to the other. Yeah. And that's where I really fell for Pete is that his biography is uh, yeah, really at a very high level. It's, it's beautifully written.
1: Yeah. Did, yeah. did you see the uh, the Onion article that came out? Is something like uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg astonishes audience by talking to uh, manufacturing robots in binary.
0: <laughs> well, that would be his eighth language.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, well, so- someone's got to negotiate with our future artificial intelligence. Yeah,
0: exactly. Overlords. overlords. All right, so we're winding down here. Uh, yeah. I, and I wanted to end with one. Last thing, and that is, how do you think the Democrats ought to deal with Trump?
1: Yeah, what a tricky question, right? Um, I, I, on the one hand, uh, you know, I think it makes sense to create a clear contrast with Trump. However, it can't hinge on I'm not Trump. That can't be the essence of your campaign because you're not going to convince anyone, right? No one is going to change their mind about how they feel about Donald Trump at this point in the game. So you're not gonna convert people over, you're not gonna bring people into the left. You know, There's this kind of idea, if I can just prove to people using logic and facts how corrupt this guy is, guess what? They like him because he's made out of Teflon and he blows through all of that. And you're, you're, you're not gonna get it. What you need to do is you need to embody the values that you criticize Trump for lacking. And you need to create a, a very, very clear contrast with those values, not with Trump as, as a character. Um, I also think, Jeff, I keep bringing it up, but I think that the, you know, these, the, these guys need to figure out how to appeal to younger generations, millennials and Gen Z, while also finding more sophisticated ways to push back against woke culture uh, and all of its core pathologies. Um, you know, I think we're starting to see some of that. I think largely how, uh, you know, the, the debacle around Joe Biden, basically, uh, you know, he's a close talker and we're also offended because he's creepy because he's a cl- I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I think that we're starting to see some pushback because of things like yeah. that.
0: And I don't I, think it's it really involves as many actual people and voters as it does social media oxygen.
1: You know, I see. I've, I've made that argument, too. And I've had a lot of people argue against me that actually it is a bit more insidious than maybe we give it credit for. Okay. For example, on college campuses where these values really are being encoded uh, into sort of, you know, campus rules and standards and practices and all that. And I I think there's a valid concern there. But I agree with you that I have to remind myself that Internet culture is not real culture. You know what I mean? It's this distorted circus mirror Reflection of real culture and the things that are happening in, on the internet and the conversations that are taking place aren't Necessarily the same conversations that are taking place elsewhere That said, you know a few weeks ago there was that thing where again these woke activists were harassing chelsea clinton Uh and blaming her for some terrorist attack. Deta- I mean, it's it's gotten really really ridiculous and we've gotten to the point where okay We already know that all conservatives hate liberals the problem is, all liberals also hate liberals. And if <laughs> nobody likes liberals, <laughs> how the hell are we going to get them elected? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, my biggest concern, Jeff, is I see right now a GOP that is completely beholden to the red meat Trump base. They're stuck between a rock and Trump's base. I have a concern that the same thing could happen with Democrats as they become increasingly beholden to the most vocal yeah. elements of woke culture. Yes. Um, well. And, and then you can't navigate once, once yeah. you're there, you know? Yeah. Well,
0: welcome to politics, man. Yeah. It's, you know, walking these lines and getting the coalitions together and if, you know, attracting and offending and, 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 and you know, the, the landscape's different and we have this, you know, the left and right extremes are different, but, Politicians always. This is what they do. This is their job. So yeah, we'll see how it. they do it. I wanted to actually play a, uh, Marianne Williamson's response to how you deal with Trump. Oh, and yeah. then I wanted to play uh, Birdie's, but because I, I think they're both right. Uh, so anyway, let me just play this one from Marianne Williamson, and she's this is her CNN um, town hall with Dana Bash, just to set up the question, Dana Bash. Asks her. So your theme is love. How are you going to deal with Donald Trump, and how are you going to deal with Donald Trump on a stage uh, in a debate? And here's Marianne Williamson's answer.
2: Let's not pretend that he would debate me, Donna. He would insult me. He would bait me, but he would not debate me. So on the stage, so, with Donald Trump. You know what do you do with a child? How do you treat a like <laughs> I would not go in res- expecting a reasonable conversation. I would be open to a reasonable conversation. I would not go in expecting one. My conversation is with the American people.
0: I- and then on she goes. So <laughs> like that. How do you deal with a child?
1: Make him sit in the corner.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're a dad. How do you, you know, how, Trump is sort of like a, you know, what, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, something like that.
1: Yeah, m- maybe. I think, I think my six-year-old has more maturity.
0: Well, here's Bernie and I like this too. So, and here he's obviously being asked about Trump.
3: Um, Whether you're conservative or moderate or progressive, I don't think the American people are proud uh, that we have a president who is a pathological liar. And I was just, and I say that, you know, it does not give me pleasure to say that, all right? I disagreed with George W. Bush on almost everything. Bush was not a pathological. Act. I mean, I think Trump is a dangerous president, but if all we do is focus on him, we lose. Our job is to develop an agenda that speaks to the needs of workers. When we do that, we're going to win and win big.
1: Yep. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in big agreement that Democrats need to turn their attention away from the donor class and towards labor. Um, they need they need some more of this you know FDR sort of energy um, you know I, I think they need to find a message, hone in on a message that communicates both common sense and the common good. And I think if they can dial that in and find a way to communicate that to working class people who are struggling um, you know in this sort of Neoliberal post NAFTA uh, world that we live in, um, I, I think that we will see um, a, another sea change uh, for the blue team, um, just yeah. by speaking to people and their concerns, and meeting people where they're at, and not being so high-minded and so oversensitive and so uh, outraged. Well, that's the, that's the common
0: sense part. Yeah, and I love that. I love that as a slogan. Corey, I think common sense and common good—that's pretty good. Common
1: sense for the common good. Let's let's common sense uh,
0: for the common good, and uh, and both of those. I mean, it's it's like you're saying common sense. You know, let's not overdo any of this. Let's just yeah. find things that work. And I love that about integral. It, it sort of gets post-ideological in the sense that I don't even want to be a part of one of these teams anymore. You know, I, I want just what works. That's right. And then for the common good, and and just this new attitude, and we're seeing it from all kinds of people, that actually the collective needs some attention. Yeah. And the culture and the, you know, communitarian aspects of the culture need some attention.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's, I think, a really important point, Jeff, particularly about how integrals tend to orient to this type of stuff, because I do think that we have... um, a resistance to, uh, you know, labeling ourselves or, or committing ourselves, limiting ourselves to only one or two or three different labels. I think that for the both of us, um, you know, uh, integral allows us to sort of redefine some of these, some of these ideas for ourselves. Like, you know, I, I consider myself a progressive, but among integral lines, which means I'm a progressive insofar as I want to see systems emerge in, you know, get created that do do not currently exist and i want those systems to be more reflective of an integral consciousness but i also have a concern you know no one has made me more uh come into more alignment with my conservative views than donald trump i there are certain institutions and practices and and uh elements of decorum etc that are under threat right now and that i want conserved. I want to protect these things. I want to wrap my arms around them. And, you know, and this is everything from the Justice Department to the FBI to these things that liberals for decades have had a lot of justified criticism and skepticism around. All of a sudden liberals love the CIA. What the hell happened <laughs> in the last 20 years? Right? I but I think it comes down to this like let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I was talking to Mark Fischler a couple of weeks ago and you know, I comped it. I was like, you know, in my 20s, I would have been more into this, like, anarchist, like, let's just, like, burn the whole thing and see what emerges afterwards. But now I've got a kid and a mortgage, and I don't have the time or the energy or the willingness to to, you know, sort of light the powder keg and see what yeah. happens. Well, welcome to, you know...
0: Emergence and evolution in your own life.
1: Yeah, middle you age. Know? God
0: damn it. Yeah, welcome to middle age, and <laughs> parenthood, and and no, you, at some point you realize, and we do as a culture that irreverence is overrated. I mean, we have a new uh, respect now for dignity, and decorum, yep. and decency, and you know these are traditional values that need to be brought into a new integral, you know, integration.
1: So, yep. Absolutely. Thank you, President Trump seriously and thank you for so many things thank thank you for getting us all so passionate thank you for making thank you for making sure that everyone in this country know you know who these people's names are I mean you know during previous administration people didn't have the names of every cabinet position memorized the way we do today yeah. um, I didn't know who the secretary of education was eight years ago but I sure as hell know who it is today and my hope is that this continues that no matter who we elect in 2020, that the same level of engagement, the same level of passion, the same level of of just civic responsibility continues uh, to emerge, um, you know, cycle after cycle after cycle. I, I think the biggest lesson that we've learned is we can't take our hands off the wheel again.
0: Yeah. Oh. All right, Corey. Well, thank you so much. It's been so much fun, dude. All right, man. All right, everybody, thanks for listening and stay tuned to The Daily Evolver and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Corey.
1: Thank you, man. Bye.